You're listening to the micro version of the Savage Lovecast, www.savagelovecast.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, well, there's nothing you can't ask on the Savage Lovecast. The New York City Health Department posted some great advice for New Yorkers over the weekend. Actually, it's great advice for anyone anywhere who's curious about how or whether to have sex during this pandemic. You are your safest sex partner. The memo posted to the New York City Health Department's website reads, Masturbation will not spread COVID-19, but they are just to wash our hands and any of the sex toys we might be using before and after we get ourselves off. Huh. A matter-of-fact mention of sex toys, which many people do use when they masturbate right at the start. I was impressed. And the memo only got more impressive from there. Your next safest sex partner is someone you live with. It goes on. You should avoid close contact, including sex, with anyone outside your household. Sad but true. For the time being, your safest sex partner is an established sex partner. Someone you live with who isn't having sex with other people. If you don't have an established sex partner or a willing roommate, see item one masturbate. The NYC health memo included advice for sex workers and for people who meet their sex partners online. Consider taking a break from in-person dates, video dates, sexting, or chat rooms may be options for you. Which means Mike Pence's advice for us from last August when he urged Americans to spend more time on our knees than we do on the internet, no longer operative. Now is the time to spend more time on the internet. Good advice for people without partners and good advice for people who have partners but crave variety. Get that shit online. Quick fact check. Did Mike Pence, Mike Pence of all people, actually say that? Did projecting Pence really urge Americans to spend more time on their knees? Or am I making it up? Let's go to the tape. I I would just say maybe a couple of things. Number one is um, spend more time on your knees than on the internet. Yeah, he said it. Pence was speaking at an Alliance Defending Freedom event. They're an anti-gay hate group, according to the Southern Poverty Law Center. All right, back to NYC Health. They want us to wash up before and after sex, which we really should have been doing anyway, and to use condoms. They don't recommend kissing so much because saliva is a very efficient way to transmit COVID-19. And you're going to want to keep your mouth away from the other end of your partner's gastrointestinal tract as well. COVID-19 has been found in the poop of people who are infected which means rimming, and they actually use the word rimming, is out for now. Lest, and I'm quoting, virus and feces may enter your mouth. A lot of people made good-natured fun of the New York City Health Department's memo while emphasizing its usefulness and praising the matter-of-fact, non-stigmatizing references to sex toys, sex workers, people who find sex partners online, and eating ass. Conservative media, of course, attempted to gin up a controversy New York Health Department gets graphic, read the headline in the New York Post. Yeah, well, with millions of people trapped at home and nothing to do but look at their phones, phones that still have Tinder, Bumble, Grindr, Recon, Threesomer, and Christian Mingle on them, it's better to err on the side of clearly informing people. As we learned during the AIDS crisis, vague or incomplete information about a disease that can be spread through sexual contact gets people killed. You gotta get explicit. And a personal note... After years of urging people to ask whether ethical non-monogamy might be right for them, after years of telling people to do what they need to do to stay married and stay sane, 
After years of advising couples whose sex lives were stagnating to think about going to a sex club and having an adventure together, after years of walking couples through planning their first threesome, here I am urging people, me, me, the guy the Daily Caller describes as a deviant of the highest order, here I am urging people to be monogamous, to take the New York City Health Department's advice and mine and stick with the person you live with. For now, for the time being, you're going to want to stick to the partner or partners or game roommates or sex toys you already have at home. But it's not forever. As the New York Times reported yesterday, if all Americans would freeze in place for 14 days while sitting six feet apart, epidemiologists say the whole epidemic would sputter to a halt. The grinder hookups and randos and very special guest stars and hot wives and bulls, they will be there for us when this is over. And the more of us who comply with the advice of epidemiologists and frazzled governors and health departments, the more of us who wash our hands and our sex toys, the more of us who stay home and get off online, the more of us who stay six feet away from people who aren't members of our households, the sooner this will all be over. All right, coming up on today's show on the micro edition of the Savage Lovecast, tons of your cues, lots of my A's also on the micro edition of the Savage Lovecast. Dr. Daniel Westreich, epidemiologist, is here to take a call. He also takes a couple of bonus calls on the Magnum edition of the Savage Lovecast that you can subscribe to at savagelovecast.com. The Magnum, twice as much show and no ads. Subscribe at savagelovecast.com. All that coming up on today's show. This episode of the Savage Lovecast is sponsored by OMG Yes, videos that explore new ways to increase sexual pleasure based on new scientific research. Get a discount on the new second season at omgyes.com slash savage. That's omgyes.com slash savage. This episode of the Savage Lovecast is brought to you by Talkspace, online therapy that makes it easy to get extra mental health support. For $100 off your first month, go to Talkspace.com and use the offer code SAVAGE. This episode is brought to you by Blue Apron. All the pre-portioned ingredients you need to make fabulous meals delivered straight to your home. Check it out at BlueApron.com. Hi, Dan. I don't know if you've tackled virtual reality porn at any point, but I learned about it from my teenage son. Apparently, it's all the rage in the 15-year-old boy market. In any event, it got me thinking. Dan, you frequently encourage couples to keep their sex lives spicy by trying a sex club together, even if they never participate. Get out of the bed, you tell them. You also warn them not to go too far too soon because they may not know how they will feel about it. So why not encourage people to try VR porn together as even a safer bet than a sex club? I still haven't tried VR porn myself as I don't have the equipment, the tech equipment anyhow, and I'm not asking my son to borrow his, but I have read that couples are using it for that purpose. Do you have any insight here? You, after these conversations, you've had these amazing conversations about VR porn that you've had with your 15-year-old son. You have more insight into VR porn than I do. I am a late adopter. I was the last person on earth to get a cell phone. I read dirty stories. I don't watch a lot of dirty videos. I'm just not a tech person. So I don't have a VR headset. I've never even seen a VR headset, much less worn one. But if your son, if your 15-year-old son and the stuff that you've read on the internet thinks this might be a good option for couples who want to spice up their sex life, short of going to a sex club together, which of course no one should be doing right now, 
Couples who want to spice up their sex life shouldn't be piling into swingers clubs, sex parties, or sex clubs right now. We should all be at home. And if you've got a VR headset at home or you know someone who can't legally drive, who can lend you a VR headset or a pair of them and you want to explore this kind of erotic environment or an erotic environment together with your partner to spice up your sex life, seems like a good idea. I endorse it even though I know nothing about it. Caller, you know more about it than I do and you've endorsed it, so I'm going to endorse your endorsement of VR porn technology for couples who want to spice up their sex life based on your 15-year-old son's recommendation. Hi, Dan. 41-year-old, soon-to-be-divorced gay male here from Southern California. My soon-to-be ex-husband and I decided to call it quits last June of 2019. We both knew our relationship was over before we officially ended it. We broke up on good terms, and I could never ask for a better breakup. There's no bad blood, and we both consider each other to be friends. Because I personally knew the relationship was over before we officially ended it, I had time to mourn the loss of this relationship. Like you always say, just because a relationship ends doesn't mean it was a failure because we both learned and grew from it. He moved out immediately after we broke up, and though our divorce is still in the process, I'm still technically married to him. What I've noticed is that now that I've started dating, I notice that when I tell guys that I'm married and the divorce is in the process, I tend to get judged and automatically disqualified because I'm, quote, still married. My question is, when is a good time to bring up me being in the process of divorce. I don't want to hide my past, but I also don't want to start the possible relationship with hiding something. For some reason in gay land, it's okay to sleep with a, a lot of partners, but getting married and divorced seems to make me damaged goods. Also, how do I bring up the fact that I'm still friends with my ex without making it seem I'm carrying excess baggage? I really want to get into a serious relationship, but again, I feel like if I disclose this, history, I'm automatically disqualified. There are a lot of people out there who are willing to date divorced people. And there are also a lot of people out there who regard someone that they're interested in romantically being on good terms with their ex or exes as a good sign about that person, not a sign that there's too much baggage. But even those people, even people who are fine dating divorced people who maybe divorced themselves, even people who don't regard a good relationship with the ex as as a deal breaker or a red flag, a lot of those people are going to have a problem dating someone who is technically, quoting you here, still married. You are in the process of getting a divorce. You know this decision is final and the divorce is going to happen. But a lot of people out there have themselves or have friends who've been jerked around by someone who claimed they were getting a divorce and they weren't getting a divorce, had no intention of getting a divorce, or were hoping they wouldn't get a divorce, or the divorce process dragged on for a very long time, became acrimonious, even if it wasn't acrimonious at first, and ate up so much of the person that they were dating's emotional bandwidth that the relationship withered and died or collapsed or just didn't get what it needed to thrive. So I would encourage you not to regard the guys who bolted after you let them know that you were still married as a sign that there won't be guys out there who are interested in dating you once you are no longer married, once you are actually divorced. And also there's a sort of sorting hat perk here. Any guy who runs from you because you have a good and loving relationship and friendship with your ex, any guy who sees that and bolts is a guy that you want to be rid of, is not a guy that you want to date because you're not going to want to be with someone who is threatened by your ex, threatened by your relationship with your ex, or your friendly connection that you've sustained with your ex. 
You want to be with a guy who sees that as a positive, as a perk about dating you. Not that he gets to be friends with your ex by, you know, by extension, but that you're the kind of person who can be in a long-term committed relationship and have it end and not have it end in total war. You know, most of us who go into relationships, most relationships fail. Very few of us date one person, marry that person, are with that person for the rest of our lives. We have a lot of short-term, hopefully short-term successful relationships. And so seeing that someone had a long-term relationship and the ending was positive, that they are friends, is a good sign not just about the relationship, the romantic relationship that you might have with that person, but the relationship you might have with that person when you're no longer dating them. And odds are that there will come a time when you two are no longer dating. And to have another friend in the world, someone you learned and grew with, that you can rely on, who can still be a presence in your life, that's a perk. That's a, that's a good sign about that. So yeah, once we can all start dating in a serious way again, hopefully after your divorce is finalized, any guy who runs from you because you're on good terms with your ex is a guy that you want to see the backside of anyway. OMGYes.com is a website devoted to sexual pleasure. In partnership with Indiana University and Kinsey Institute researchers, OMG Yes asked tens of thousands of women, what was the one discovery you've made that really made your pleasure better? Then they found the patterns and those discoveries and those interviews, the physical techniques, psychological techniques, the ways of guiding partners, and they brought all that wisdom together on a single website, omgyes.com, poured it into videos, animation, data, and a whole lexicon of what feels good. What many don't know about OMG Yes is that it's not a subscription site. It's a one-time payment for a collection of content. It's like buying a book that you keep forever. And that one-time payment also funds their next wave of research on sexual pleasure. The OMG Yes team is currently partnering with researchers at IU and Yale, researching other important and understudied topics like men's sexual pleasure, trans and gender diverse pleasure, and ways trauma survivors and their partners reconnect with and through pleasure. You know, you would think because we live in our own bodies for so many years that we would all be experts about our own bodies. But many of us arrive in adulthood pretty ignorant about our own bodies. Particularly women are denied a lot of information and empowerment about owning their own bodies, owning and centering their sexual pleasure. And what you'll find at OMG Yes is wisdom and insight People learning what works for their own bodies and sharing that with other people, sharing that information in ways that might help other people really pick the lock and and come to understand and then fully embrace their potential for experiencing sexual pleasure. It is an invaluable resource that can help make you the expert about your own body that you need to and deserve to be. There's so much still to be discovered. Support the cause and get the resource at omgyes.com. You can also gift the resource that is omgyes.com by going to omgyes.com and clicking give as a gift. You can also get a discount by going to omgyes.com slash savage. Get a special discount just for our listeners. Again, that's omgyes.com slash savage. Hi, Dan. I'm a 25-year-old bi woman living in the South, and I had a question about coming out as a sex worker. Basically, I've been doing sex work for about six months now, full service, so fucking for money. And it's something that I'm really enjoying and I feel like I'm really good at. And I have had pretty much no safety issues or scary situations that have arisen so far. 
Um, and it's at the point where I feel like this is something I could see myself doing for a long time. And I am getting sick of lying to my parents about it. They think that I have a regular job um, as a nanny. And so I have to make up stories about that. And obviously they have no idea that I'm doing this as my main source of income. I'm also planning some trips in the future that I'm going to be funding with the money that I've made from sex work. And I don't know how to explain to them where that money is coming from. I think my dad would be pretty accepting of it once he gets over the initial shock. But my mom seems like she might freak out. And I don't want either of them to worry about my safety or cause them unnecessary stress. So I guess I'm just not sure what the best way to tell them is or even if it's a good idea to tell them. I imagine those trips are off. So the pressure to come out to mom and dad about your actual source of income is probably lessened. And as Michael Hobbs wrote in HuffPo in a piece about sex workers being hit really hard by the current economic crisis, it may be that you are exiting sex work for the moment. And if that's the case, if you're being hit hard by this, my heart goes out to you and I am sorry. I am going to answer your question as if it was six months ago, though, try to give you some advice. I am a firm believer in running parents on a need-to-know basis. Your parents are going to take an interest in how you're supporting yourself, are going to want to know whether you're okay. But do your parents need to know, particularly if you're only six months into doing sex work, that sex work is what you're doing now? You're thinking this might be something you want to do over the long term. You've had a good experience so far. You've had positive experiences with clients so far. No scary experiences with clients so far. And you feel like you are good at this job and sex work is work and it's a job and it's a legit job. And if you want to go into sex work long-term and professionally, I support you. A lot of parents are going to freak out and borrowing a phrase from Esther Perel that she uses in reference to coming out to a partner about having cheated on them. You are contemplating the burden of knowing, putting the burden of knowing on your parents' shoulders. And as much as you reassure them that all of your experiences have been positive and maybe you've established a regular client base and you're not seeing strangers anymore on a regular basis, your parents are going to worry anyway. They'll think you're telling them that just so that they're not worried about you when they need to be worried about you or should be worried about you. And again, I always circle back to running parents on a need-to-know basis. Do they need to know this? They need to know you're okay. They need to know you have a source of income. They need to know you're taking care of yourself and that your bills are paid. You can – Assure them of all of that without giving them the details, without telling them that you're doing sex work, particularly now, particularly when you're just six months in. You may feel very differently three months from now or six months from now and exit sex work after a year. And then if you had told your parents at six months, you will have freaked them out and burdened them with knowing unnecessarily. So I would kick the can down the road a bit. Your dad might be okay with it. If you think he might be okay with it, you could roll it out with him first and strategize around how to roll it out with mom if you're going to roll it out with mom, if you're going to tell mom. As for explaining, you know, having irregular hours and going on trips, you can always tell your parents that you're a personal assistant now for a wealthy person. You signed an NDA, non-disclosure agreement. You can't really talk about the job or who this person is, but that's why you're traveling a little bit. Uh, and that you have a regular source of income and you're good and they shouldn't worry. And then you don't have to go into details about how you're actually supporting yourself. 
I, I want to own the the conflict here and own my hypocrisy. I think there shouldn't be a stigma attached to sex work. And if more people are open about doing sex work, being sex workers, that is the quickest way to dismantle the stigma and shame. And yet I'm advising you not to tell your parents, not to panic or worry your parents, to run your parents on a need-to-know basis. And there's no way out. I can't finesse my way out of this corner that I painted myself into. There is a contradiction here. And instead of trying to reconcile it at the moment and as a parent, I just want to acknowledge it and let you all know that I'm going to sit with it. You know, it's been a real comfort over the last week and a half, opening the front door and seeing the blue apron package on the step, saving us a trip to the grocery store and knowing that in that blue apron box is everything, everything that we need to make a delicious meal for our family. Blue Apron offers a wide variety of recipes that fit every lifestyle from health conscious options to new Blue Apron premium meals that feature exceptional ingredients and advanced techniques. This week, for instance, you can enjoy chicken saltambuca with roasted potatoes and sauteed spinach. And you can also create a plan that works for you with Blue Apron's ever-changing mix of premium, plant-forward, vegetarian, carb-conscious, Mediterranean, diabetes-friendly, WW-approved, and 500-calorie or less options. At Blue Apron, you get to choose from a variety of chef-designed, ready-to-cook meals with perfectly portioned ingredients, lots of flavorful options, and all of it is sent to your door. And doesn't that sound sweet? Right now, prices start as low as $7.49 per serving, and Blue Apron is flexible. You can skip weeks or cancel at any time. Let Blue Apron take care of the meal planning and the shopping so you can enjoy everything else safely at home. All meals can be prepared in 40 minutes or less, some as low as 20 minutes. You get prime protein options and interesting dishes that may use techniques you haven't tried before. I've learned so much cooking with Blue Apron. I have skills now I never had before. And with their premium recipes, you not only enjoy a truly restaurant-worthy meal, you also end up discovering new ingredients, new methods, or a unique new food pairing you never would have thought of to try. Cooking does not have to be a hassle. Blue Apron gives you options and makes it easy, taking the guesswork and the shopping out of dinner so you can enjoy a home-cooked meal at home. For more information, visit blueapron.com. That's blueapron.com. Blue Apron, feed your soul. Hi, Dan. I have a question that I'm sure many, many people are asking, and that is about the coronavirus. With this epidemic happening all around the world and all in our respective cities and towns, what what are we supposed to do about dating these days when we're not even supposed to uh, shake anybody's hand? Are we no longer allowed to kiss? A new person really, really would like to know. Joining me by phone to help tackle this question, Daniel Westreich, Associate Professor of Epidemiology at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. Hey, Daniel Westreich, how are you? Thank you for jumping on the phone. Uh, hi, Dan. Thanks for having me. Uh, I imagine you're under a lot of uh, pressure right now and you have a lot to tend to, so we really appreciate you taking a moment to talk about dating and sex issues with us uh, during this crisis. Uh, so dating, I'm getting lots of calls. I'm getting lots of emails from people wondering if they have to stop making out with new people. And the answer to me seems obvious, but I'm not an epidemiologist, so I'm going to let you go. It seems obvious to me, too, that people need to stop making out with new people, at least for a while. The uh, I, I hope we're in agreement on that point, Dan. A hundred percent. 
Yeah. The social distancing idea is is one that I, I think might make sense to go over again really briefly. And the idea of flattening the curve, you know, what we're trying to do with that public health strategy is to slow down the spread of this disease so that uh, serious cases of the disease don't overwhelm our healthcare system. We've seen, we've all seen these really terrifying statistics about the potential case fatality rate of the coronavirus. And um, there are a lot of caveats in those numbers, but one of the most important things to keep in mind about those numbers is that, is that they're, they're social phenomena as well as biological. Mm-hmm. It's not just a consequence of the biology of the coronavirus, whether or not it's going to kill you. It's also a consequence of what kind of healthcare facilities and intensive care units you have access to. And so if we get a huge, huge number of new cases all at the same time, um, there's going to be less intensive care unit beds available, and the number of people who die is going to go up, maybe up by by a lot. And we'll see what we're seeing in Italy, which is triage decisions having to be made. There's not enough respirators to take care of everyone uh, who desperately needs to be on a respirator. So they're deciding – I mean medical professionals are being put in a position of having to decide who gets one and who doesn't, basically who lives and who dies because they have such a huge spike. And that's what we're trying to avoid with social distancing are those kinds of desperate choices. Yeah, that's exactly right. And so the way we're trying to do that is to try to break, uh, in some sense, to break the, the, the giant networks of people interacting. Um, and this is a, a subject that, that, has been studied pretty well in a lot of other contexts as well, including um, sexually transmitted infections, where it's the risk to a group of people has to do with network connectivity. The more people in contact with the more people, the faster a disease can spread throughout all those people Mm -hmm. uh, or an infection. And so in this case, we're trying to break apart the network into little self-contained pods And so if somebody in my household gets coronavirus, probably everyone else in the household is going to get it, but then we're not going to spread it to the next household over. Right. And, and what that's going to do hopefully is if then if people in my household need a hospital bed, there is one because 30 other households aren't demanding that same bed at the same moment. And bringing it back to the caller, if someone in your household is sneaking out to hook up with someone they just met on Tinder and make out (laughs) with that person and then coming back home, the odds of everyone in your household getting coronavirus shoot up. That's right. We, we think so, especially given how much uh, there's all of the research here is preliminary but there are some new findings that suggest that quite a lot of the coronavirus uh, transmission is happening from asymptomatic people, people who don't know that they are infectious to others. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, and, and the same and the same thing is true in reverse. If 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 somebody in the household is infected, doesn't know yet, and then sneaks out to make out with that person they just met on Tinder, well, that person's going to get it and spread it to whatever other networks they're a part of. The parallels to HIV sometimes are. Eerie. I mean, it's very different than HIV, but one of the one, one of the eerie parallels for those of us who lived through the AIDS crisis is that most people who had it didn't know they had it and weren't symptomatic. So just avoiding, you know, having sex with people with KS lesions at the time wasn't a strategy that would protect you. You know, limiting the numbers of partners that you had 
safe sex practices, outer course, using condoms, that could protect you. But just looking at a guy and trying to guess whether he had HIV or not couldn't protect you. And this is the same thing. You don't know who has it because most people are asymptomatic even as they spread it, just like with HIV. Yeah, that it's it is. Um, I I agree that the, there are those parallels. There are, of course, a lot of stigma issues around HIV mm-hmm. um, that that um, which you know are are unfortunate. Um, but there aren't those same stigma issues around coronavirus. So I don't want to take that parallel too far. There there's right. such socially different phenomena. But um, but the asymptomatic transmission is a is a real is a real concern here. People are bored. People are home alone. Uh, I would encourage those people, if you're bored and horny and home alone, to masturbate, you know, to, to bring it back to another worldwide calamity. After 9-11, there are a lot of stories written about, you know, people who were bored. Airline travel was shut down. Everyone was, you know, terrified mm-hmm. and hunkered down. There are a lot of stories written about people running out and having terror sex. Bars were full and people were hooking up and doing things right. that – if they weren't scared out of their minds, they might not do otherwise. This is not an instance where we can have that kind of life-affirming terror sex, not with strangers. If you have a partner that you're already fluid bonded with, to, to revive that old phrase, and you're corned, you know, you're holed right. up with that person, you're distancing yourself socially from others of that person, they're in your household, you can have sex with that person. But uh, the caller seems to be interested in, and, and it, I'm pro sex with randos that people are safe and conscientious about it she's interested in like whether this impacts sex with randos absolutely it does you can't have sex with randos right now you have to maintain a six foot distance there's no exception for the tongue and there's no six foot six inch long penises out there where you can have sex with somebody while staying six feet away from them so really casual hookups are just off the table right now yeah yeah i feel like chat roulette might be everyone's friend again at this point but um and I, I saw something online that I, I unfortunately can't give credit to, but somebody's suggesting that we should, you know, we're, we're in, we're in like long tortured letter writing phase of courtship right now. Mm-hmm. People should, people should be writing each other sonnets. You know, Patton Oswalt tweeted uh, just yesterday that he and his wife uh, didn't meet for three months that they fell in love uh, direct messaging each other, that they were introduced online and, you know, he's a comedian, he's traveling and their whole courtship was through DMs. So that is possible. It is possible for you to find a new partner and, and, and establish a long and loving and lasting commitment without being in each other's presence, at least for the next three months. Daniel Westreich, Associate Professor of Epidemiology at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. Thank you so much for jumping on the phone. Thank you for taking a break from running those better models Uh, and getting us better advice. We really appreciate your input today. Thanks for having me, Dan. Professor Westreich hung around, took another couple of calls. That's on the Magnum. Getting the help you need is important. We talk about that a lot in this show. Having someone to talk to when you're in crisis, also important. We talk about that a lot on this show, and I'm always and constantly recommending that people seek out the help that they need to get therapy, to speak with a therapist when they need. And leaving the house to go see a therapist, obviously not something that you should be doing right now. But a lot of us still need help and support. We're under a lot of stress. We're under a lot of pressure. And having a therapist that you can talk to from wherever you are, from the safety of your own home and on your schedule, more important now than ever. And that's where Talkspace Online Therapy comes in. Talkspace is the most convenient and affordable way to make lasting change in your life with the support 
of a licensed therapist. It's super easy. It's super convenient, especially for the way we are all living right now. You can send your licensed therapist text, audio, picture, or video messages from your phone or computer whenever you need to. You don't have to make appointments. You don't have to move through the city to go see your therapist. Your therapist is there with you on your phone, on your computer, on your devices. Everything happens within Talkspace's secure platform on your schedule and safely. Talkspace can match you with a licensed therapist based on your needs and preferences. They have thousands of licensed therapists trained in over 40 specialties. So if you have something very specific you want to work on or talk about, and I think we all do right now at this moment, they will find someone right for you and find that person right away. Once you're matched, you can begin therapy the very same day. Now is the time to take care of yourself so you can better take care of others. The bottom line, this may be the hardest time we've faced in a generation. Talkspace is there to help all of us get the support we need at a price we can afford to get through this difficult time. As a listener of this podcast, you can get $100 off your first month on Talkspace. To match with your perfect therapist, go to Talkspace.com or download the app. Make sure to use the code SAVAGE to get $100 off your first month and show your support for the show. That's SAVAGE at Talkspace.com. Hi, Dan. So I'm getting married in a few weeks to a great guy and I'm really excited, but we've been apart for the last six weeks. We're in the process of moving back to my home state, and he's been spending some time with family while I finished up my job. During this time, I've been mostly crashing on a friend's couch. On my second to last night in town, I took her out for dinner and drinks to thank her for letting me stay at her house. We needed to get getting pretty drunk, mostly at her request. I was just trying to be a good sport. I did have a fun night until right before bed when things got weird. We were saying goodnight, and she kind of cornered me and hugged me and started getting a little handsy and telling me how attractive she thinks I am. I was so drunk, I really didn't think much of it or realize what was happening. Then she asked me if she could kiss me, and I said yes, still not really comprehending what was happening. I thought she just wanted to give me a kiss on the cheek or something, but that was not what she wanted. She kissed me very aggressively um, and probably would have been happy if things went further than that. I managed to extract myself from the situation and she did relent and push it any further. But still, I feel really hurt and betrayed by her actions. She has spent time with me and my fiancé, knowing full well that we are getting married, and she never bothered to ask if we were monogamous, but we are. Not only does that upset me, but her advances felt kind of predatory and like a violation of trust. Reminds me of bad encounters I've had with random drunk guys at parties in college. I'm careful about who I drink around to avoid situations like this. I assumed I was safe being vulnerable in that way around her, but I, I feel like I really wasn't. I was so upset by what happened. I left her house the next day while she was at work without saying goodbye. She has apologized, but I don't know if I really want to continue our friendship. My question for you is, am I overreacting? Do I, am I justified to feel hurt, betrayed, and violated? It was just a kiss, and I did say yes, but I feel I was way too drunk to give consent and that it was inappropriate for her to make such advances while we had both been drinking. We talk a lot about how women are socialized to not say no to men and men are scary testosterone soaked dick monsters and women get into situations with men where they attempt to deflect or deescalate in a way that the dude selfishly interprets as she hasn't said no and they can keep pressing their case. Uh, sometimes women will 
wind up appearing to consent to sex under duress and pressure because they fear the reaction that they're going to get from the dude. They fear violence and it's a legitimate fear considering the numbers of women out there who are subjected to violence at the hands of men, sexual violence at the hands of men. But here we have an example where that impulse, that instinct to deflect, uh, to defer, to not say no played out in a moment between two women. Your friend backed you into a corner and began to get handsy with you. And maybe you were so drunk that you couldn't quite put the pieces together. You didn't understand what was happening. But it's likelier that you went into that default, defer, deflect, not say no. And then when your friend asked you for permission to kiss you, even though she'd already made it clear through her actions that the kiss was unlikely to be a friendly goodnight kiss, but was a make and a move kiss, you said yes. Under a kind of emotional duress or force of habit, you say it reminds you, this experience reminded you of past ugly interactions with drunk college boys. And then she kissed you and you feel hurt and betrayed and violated because you were violated. And your friend who knew you were in a monogamous relationship, who knew you were engaged, betrayed your trust and you are hurt as a result. Your feelings of betrayal, hurt and violation are completely legitimate. Do you salvage the friendship? Is the friendship worth salvaging? Depends. Depends on how you feel about the apology. An apology just tossed out. Oh, I'm really sorry about that. An apology that may be motivated by self-loathing or the realization after the fact that they misread the situation and they're just embarrassed and want to shut down conversation. That's not an apology that will salvage the friendship. The apology that salvages the friendship is the apology that comes with a conversation about what happened, what that person knows now, what they were thinking in the moment. Was it predatory or was it a misapprehension? If it was predatory, if your friend's a sexual predator, obviously you don't want to be friends with a sexual predator. If your friend drunkenly misapprehended your feelings toward her, and maybe she engaged in a little bit of clitful thinking and rounded those feelings up or those her perception of your feelings up to uh, a, a sexual interest that wasn't there. And, and all of us are susceptible to that kind of dickful or twitful, twatful, clitful thinking. If in conversing with her, if in having a long drawn out conversation with her, you believe her when she says that she misapprehended, she misunderstood. Maybe her judgment was impaired by the alcohol too and she became aggressive and impulsive and she has cut back on her drinking or stopped drinking as a result of this experience. Are there lessons that she has learned and taken away from this? And her self-loathing and mortification about the experience, about screwing up your friendship, did it change her behavior? Is it changing how she moves through the world? And if you feel, after conversing with her, that she understands how enormous a fuck-up this was and how you, she violated you, and if in conversing with you, you get the sense that she's not the kind of person who enjoys violating other people or wanted to violate you, well, then maybe you can salvage your friendship on the other side. But a perfunctory shut-this-down apology, can we get past this, and no desire on her part for accountability to you 
and no sense that she values the friendship enough to make the changes that she needs to make and, and scrutinize her own behavior and actions that night in the way she needs to scrutinize them, well, then the friendship can't be salvaged. Hey, Dan, bisexual mid-20s person living in Swampville, Florida. I <laughs> have been also faced with the interesting, will you be my quarantine question? My boyfriend lives in the same house as his sister. And so I said, hey, you'd let me quarantine at your place, right? Because I live completely alone and I don't have any pets or anything like that. And for some people, that isolation sounds like a dream. Me, not so much. And he responded with, I don't know. So I kind of let it sit overnight and I kind of prodded him again this morning and was like, so about that, this is becoming more of a potential reality for us thoughts. And he's like, I don't know, you know, my sister lives here. It's not just my house. If it was just us, it would be different. So I said, well, would you come here? And he said, I have my dog. And he knows full well his dog can be here. He's brought the dog here before. Like, I'm kind of looking at all these different hypotheticals with how this could play out. And I'm, I don't want to be faced with the potential situation that he would honestly just leave me here alone when he knows that's what I don't want. I don't know if I'm being ridiculous or if this is something where I have a right to feel like fully abandoned by my partner in this situation. I don't have any other family in this city. I just moved here five months ago. I'm isolated from everybody else. So I don't really know what to make of this. I, I don't think this situation, God forbid, would ever come up again in my lifetime. But also, what the fuck? Laura Garrett, science journalist, winner of the Pulitzer Prize for her writing about Ebola, tweeted earlier this week, Windows closing for Americans, the window of opportunity for most Americans to decide where they want to be located and with whom to ride out the great pandemic is closing. So Garrett predicts that we will all soon be under shelter in place orders. And so we need to think now about where we want to be and who we want to be with once we are officially quarantined. And you're thinking about that caller. You're thinking about who you would like to be your quarantine. Well, it seems that your boyfriend doesn't want to be your quarantine. You say that you only moved to wherever in Florida you are now five months ago and you don't have a lot of other social contacts and you're isolated. Well, you can still get in a car and drive somewhere else. You can still at the moment, so long as you maintain six feet distance from everyone you encounter along the way, get to where there are people that you could isolate yourself with when and if the order comes down for all of us to shelter in place. When you asked your boyfriend of, I assume, five months or less, if you could quarantine with him, if need be, and he responded, well, I live with my sister and I'd need to check and then didn't check with his sister and get back to you, that was a sign. And then when you suggested that perhaps he could come to your place, he said, well, I have a dog. And he said that knowing that he could bring his dog to your place. That is also a sign that he isn't interested. For whatever reason, for reasons he's not articulating, in isolating himself with you, if need be, if it comes to that. So you're going to have to make other plans, like getting in your car and heading back to wherever it was that you came from five months ago. All right, before we get to your response calls, let's read your tweets. Stone Cold Jane Austen tweets, 
Nothing breaks my heart faster than hearing people crying on the Savage Lovecast. Hashtag DTMFA. Don't know which call that was in reference to. There's a lot of calls we get around here where the only appropriate response is to dump the motherfucker already. But I got to say, I am the same. It breaks my heart when people cry. People who read my column for years noticed that I was a lot nicer on the podcast or maybe that the podcast made me nicer. And I think it did because I could hear people's voices. And sometimes I heard them near tears or in tears. And the last thing I want to do is make someone cry. Now, I'm sure I have and I'm sure I will from time to time but I hope to keep it to a minimum. Michael Miller tweets, kudos to Dan Savage and Dr. Jane Gunter and others for doling out practical quarantine advice. To all the churches who think services are worth more than the lives of your practitioners, maybe you should start listening to the Savage Lovecast and learn a thing or two. And finally, Dustin Zero Martin tweets, hey at Fake Dan Savage, love your column and podcast. Thank you for all the great advice over the years, but a special thanks for helping this bi guy come out to his opposite sex partner. You're welcome, Dustin, and congrats on coming out. There were a lot of heart and rainbow emojis at the end of your tweet, so I'm going to assume that your wife reacted positively. All right, if you'd like me to read your tweet on an upcoming episode of the Savage Lovecast, do be sure to use the hashtag Savage Lovecast. And now your response calls. Hi, I'm calling about the guy with the abusive stalker ex-girlfriend. I got out of a similar relationship three years ago and finally got the stalking in about one year ago after a cease and desist letter from an attorney. Listening to your call and the fact that you were considering bending to your ex made me think that you'd probably benefit from some therapy. Therapy helped me see my part in abusive relationships I had been in. I finally saw that I was actually drawn to people that were abusive and manipulative because it felt exciting or because I thought I could, quote, help them. Therapy taught me how to recognize the signs of a great partner and start a relationship with someone who's kind and also awesome beyond my wildest dreams. I also hope you cut off all contacts with your ex, as Dan had mentioned, and get that cease and desist letter or restraining order, not suggestions I would necessarily give to a straight woman in your position because of violence, as Dan had mentioned. And finally, I hope you nurture that good relationship you started. Hey, Dan, how's it going? Really appreciated the expert you had on last week talking about psychedelics and uh, their benefits, not just for people with PTSD, but also for healthy normals. I had the benefit of undergoing the therapy with a trained professional, both with MDMA and with psilocybin, and the changes in my life have been so incredible. I I can't even uh, go into all of them. I'm calling, though, because your expert got one thing very wrong. He said that the cause of death on MDMA had to do with not drinking enough water, among other concerns. One of the things he didn't mention, though, was that drinking too much water is the main cause of death from MDMA. Hey, Dan. I just listened to the Savage Lovecast episode 699, and uh, there was a man on there talking about how his uh, hips were a big erogenous zone for him, and that getting them touched or whatever sent it straight to his cock and I have the exact same thing especially after I have like come really hard I've startled a couple people because they'll just be sort of running their hands over me and the minute they hit my hip bones I like buck off the bed it is so hot for me I don't know what it is but that is a big erogenous zone for me and I'm glad I'm not the only one 
All right, before we get to the leave it there part of the show, we want to encourage people out there who are listening to call in and share your best quarantine sex stories. If you've had some great quarantine sex at home with your established sex partner, give us a buzz, 206-302-2064, or record it on the Voice Memo app on your phone and send it to us at voicemail at savagelovecast.com, and we will share them on an upcoming episode. All right, we're going to leave it there. 206-302-2064 is the number here at the Savage Lovecast. If you'd like to record a question or a comment for a future show, give us a buzz. 206-302-2064. Better yet, better sound quality. You can record your question or your comment on your phone using the Voice Memo app and then email it to us at voicemail at savagelovecast.com. Follow me on Twitter at FakeDanSavage. The Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and Nancy and the tech savvy at risk you. We will all be back at you next week for another installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thank you for downloading and please take care.